Hello, everyone. I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Expo Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at our Specialty Coffee Expo. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode of Expo 2019 Lectures Podcast is supported by Soft Engine Coffee One, powered by SAP. Built upon SAP's business-leading enterprise resource planning solution, Soft Engine Coffee One is designed to quickly and easily take your small-to-medium coffee company, working at any point along the coffee chain, to the next level of success. Learn more about Soft Engine Coffee One at softengine.com, with special pricing available for SCA members. Soft Engine, the most intelligent way to grow your business. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 Specialty Coffee Expo in Boston. Don't miss next year's lecture series in Portland. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements, including ways to get involved in next year's expo and early bird ticket release. The original brewing control chart is overlaid with acceptability zones describing cup flavors. However, these terminologies, strong, bitter, weak, over and underdeveloped, are outdated and their definitions are not standardized in the industry. In this lecture, the most recent results from the UC Davis Coffee Center will be presented, which use the WCR sensory lexicon in order to elucidate new flavor attributes related to coffees of different strengths and extractions. The experiment evaluated a single origin coffee roasted to three different development tines in order to assess the importance of roast on the flavor at different strengths and extractions. The position of the coffees on the brewing control chart was modified by using a programmable batch brewer. A descriptive analysis panel was used to capture the sensory profile of these coffees. The results presented will be used to update the descriptive zones of the new brewing control chart. In today's lecture by Dr. Scott Frost, you'll learn about how flavor can be modified through the brewing process and how the control chart can be used to create different flavors for a specific coffee. Scott received his Master of Science in Viticulture and Enology and PhD in Agricultural and Environmental Chemistry from the University of California, Davis. His graduate research focused on evaluating the sensory and chemical changes in wine as a result of specific enological practices. At the time of this recording, Scott worked at the UC Davis Coffee Center as a postdoctoral scholar. His project applies quantitative sensory methods to capture the sensory profile of brewed coffee. This lecture has some very technical graphs that are difficult to describe. As Scott is getting ready to officially publish the results, we're unable to share his visuals with you today, but we'll be sure to let you know when some of the graphs are available for you to see. Okay, let's dive in. So when we we talk about the brewing control chart, I think one of the best places to start is uh, with the Coffee Brewing Institute. And established in 1952, uh, this was a research body that was designed to... uh, encouraged the industry to learn more about coffee. And so the director was this gentleman named Ernest Lockhart, and he was quite prolific in coffee. And so Lockhart has quite an interesting background. So in the 1940s, he went to Antarctica with uh, General Byrd, and he actually has a mountain named after him in Antarctica. Later on in 1960, he went back to MIT where he was a biochemist and and a food scientist. And from there, he joined the Coffee Brewing Institute. And there's an excellent article by Emma Sage 
looking at the history and the setting up of a coffee brewing institute. So what, but what Lockhart really is, is known for is this, this publication that came out in 1957. And the idea behind this publication was he was attempting to create an index, so a single number to describe uh, the quality of coffee. And so this publication is pretty much the basis of how we brew coffee. So the title was The Soluble, the Soluble Solids in Beverage Quality, or Beverage Coffee as an Index of Cup Quality. And so the first thing that he says in the abstract of this, of this publication is that the quality or acceptability of coffee beverage or any other food is incredibly difficult to capture. And that's, and that's kind of a take-home message that a single number to ascertain quality is incredibly, incredibly difficult. So with, within this publication, they attempted to relate these three parameters, these three basic brewing fundamental parameters. So the first being brewing formula, so the ratio of water to coffee. The second being percent extraction. So the amount of coffee removed from the coffee grounds inside the, inside the, brew, uh, inside the brew basket. And then total dissolved solids. So the strength of the actual beverage that you get out at the end. So this 57 publication, this 1957 publication from Lockhart, uh, this was the graphic that they produced showing brew formula along the X, Strength of coffee, so TDS, soluble solids, up the Y. And then the lines are the extraction percentage. And I've highlighted here this, this box that they overlaid, this ideal quality box. And at the time, there was, there was some competing discussion over what the box was, this, this infamous coffee box that we have. And there was two different boxes, one from the Brewing Committee and one from the Midwest Research Institute. Um, so yeah, so if you, if you look at this plot, you can re- Re reorganize it or replot it. And this is the one that we see in the coffee brewing handbook from the SCA. Scott is describing the Lockhart Brewing Control Chart. If you're unfamiliar with the chart, check out the show notes for a link to different versions of this chart. Which has extraction along the X, strength up the Y, and the lines are the dose. So the idea being is that the pair between the extraction and the strength is the brew index. So an extraction, so a percent extraction TDS pair would be the brew index. So they also overlaid on this chart these, this verbiage, uh, developed, underdeveloped, strong, and weak. And there's also the uh, stark lines between moving from underdeveloped to ideal to bitter. And that gives an implication saying that you can very quickly move from being underdeveloped to this ideal cup of coffee instantaneously by passing from you know, 18.8 to 19. And so that's a little bit, a little bit constrictive. And additionally, these this, this words of developed and underdeveloped are their preference words. And so one person's overdeveloped or undeveloped coffee may be someone else's like perfect coffee. So we always question this ideal box, like ideal says who? So what what I'm interested in is that coffee, coffee is so much more than just this developed, underdeveloped, bitter, etc. We have this beautiful lexicon that we use to describe coffee with this coffee wheel. We see it plastered all over this conference everywhere we go. So what I wanted to know, and what we were curious about at Davis in conjunction with Brubble and, and the SCA is, is how, how does this lexicon relate to the brewing control chart? How do these words relate to index positions along the chart? So we set out and to ask this question. So how do specific sensory attributes change in respect to the brewing control chart? So like I said, we partnered with Brubble and the SEA, and we tested this hypothesis. If coffee is brewed 
at a different index position than perceived sensorial change. And that's, that's the, the hypothesis for the experiment that we'll be talking about today. Scott's slide is titled Experiment Design. It shows the nine types of brews he's testing. These brews are combinations of TDS levels and extraction levels. Three types of TDS levels are 1%, 1.25%, and 1.5%. The three levels of extraction are 16%, 20%, and 24%. Now I'm going to talk about the experiment that we did, the design of the experiment. So I have here, I have here a brewing control chart uh, with the lines removed, with everything removed, but we kept... I kept the, the boxes and the lines, because that's the basis of what we're working with. So we, we wanted to test across the entire chart. So we set up an experiment looking at three levels of percent extraction, so 16, let's see if I get this exact, 16, 20, and 24, and three levels of TDS, 1, 1.25, and 1.50. And we tested all nine combinations of these uh, uh, TDS and extraction pairs. So this was the basis of our experimental design. We needed to up it just a little bit. So we included coffee as another factor within the experiment. Scott's slide shares more information about the coffee used in the experiment. It was grown by Cooperativa de Horticultures in Honduras and is a mix of bourbon, catuai, catura, and pacas. The slide notes the altitude, 1300 to 1650 meters above sea level, and the processes are fully washed and sun-dried. So we sourced a coffee from, from Honduras in Singuatepe. Uh, the coffee was donated by Royal, and the coffee was roasted by, by Blue Bottle by Juliet Hahn. So I have to take a second and, and tell you how I am a better person, a better coffee person, having worked with both Jen and Juliet. I can't thank them enough for the time that, that we got to spend with them. Um, so, yes. So Juliet roasted our coffee. And she, we decided to use development time, so the time post-crack, post as a way to, to, to make coffee treatments. And so we, we made arbitrary designations of the coffee as light, medium, and dark. And I put up the roasting curves up here so we can kind of get an understanding of what we have. Uh, and our roast losses, running from 14, 15, and 16 percent roast loss for light, medium, dark. Okay. So... Now we have 27 different coffees. We have a light roast, a medium roast, and a dark roast, as designated by the development time. Each of those coffees had nine coffees within it, so evaluating three levels of TDS, three levels of percent extraction, every combination within, uh, giving, as I said, 27 different brews from the one single green coffee. Okay, so back to what we're trying to do. So we're trying to look at how how was the brewing index changed? Oh, this is a good part. So I need to take a quick detour here. So in order to move around the brewing control chart, in order to, to, to effectively dial up the coffee that we wanted, we needed to learn how to brew in our lab. And so we were using uh, a Pertis G1, these one-gallon batch brewers. We have six of them in our lab. And what we did is we programmed the brewers to pulse water on and off at a, at a given rate, at a cycle. And so we use this, this duty cycle, this pulsing on, pulsing off, to change the TDS of the coffee, to change the strength, to change the brew index of the coffee. And so even before we could get to the brewing control chart, we had to do a 
a, I guess, a prequel experiment to this, where we did four brewing ratios of equal grind, all brewed at 95 or 9.5 C, 17 different pulsing sequences, three brew replicates. We brewed 204 pots of coffee before we even got to the descriptive analysis portion. And what we found was that um, it's pretty, pretty intuitive. So the longer the duty cycle is, so if we went from, uh, so the shorter the duty cycle, so decreasing duty cycle, increased extraction strength. So if we look up here at, at this one that says 16.7, that's way up here at this top end. And so what that is, that's very quick. That's pulsing on and pulsing off, pulsing on and pulsing off, pulsing on and pulsing off across the entire brew. And down here, down here in these like pinkish, bluish ones, this gets down to be a, uh, closer to the 100% duty cycle, which is constant on. And so that's really, so using contact time and, and the length of the brew, we were able to brew across the chart. And so what that allowed us to do is effectively, quote unquote, I don't know, I like dial, dial up a brew, you know, just plug it in and, and go for it. And so we use this principle uh, to move around the chart. And this work is currently uh, being written up, being worked on for publication at, at Davis. Okay, so back to, back to what we did. So using that, that, that pulsing, that duty cycle information to change our index position, we evaluated, like I said, these 27 coffees across these three different roasts. Okay, so we were curious about the sensory properties of these 27 different coffees. And we use a method called descriptive analysis, which attempts to describe, quantitatively describe, specific sensory attributes of a product set. So descriptive analysis is applied methodology to collect quantitative measures of similarity and differences within a product set. It's trained judges. It's concise within its lexicon, uh, requires an experimental design, and it needs controlled conditions. And so I have here, that's actually Juliet in my booth um, with the red light on. But we'll, we'll talk more about that in a bit. So like I said, trained judges, a concise lexicon, an experimental design, and controlled conditions. So the first thing we do with descriptive analysis is we convene a panel of judges. Um, and these judges were pre-screened using some triangle testing, some discrimination testing. So we wanted people who uh, have a little bit of understanding of coffee before we bring them into our lab. The judges are blind to the products and the treatments. Um, they were presented with the, uh, the SCAWCR wheel and asked to develop or come up with words that they're uh, perceiving in the coffees uh, for this training. So they developed this giant list of words, this, this lexicon of words that they can use to describe both, uh, to both describe and discriminate the given coffees within the data set. So they came up with this list of 32 different flavor, aroma, and taste attributes. Uh, and so each one of those 32 taste attributes comes with a reference standard. And this is the part that, that changes it from being preference to being quantitative and descriptive is that there's a reference standard behind it so that we can go and we can say, so for example, for tobacco, everyone on the panel smells the tobacco, and they say, yeah, yeah, that's tobacco. There's no question that. Only oh, this smells like, I don't know, my grandmother's basement or something else. It, it, everyone is, is keyed into the same, to the same aroma for uh, the product set that you have. Like I said, we have 32 for, the, for this experiment. Okay, yeah, here they are, a giant list from black pepper, Cocoa, floral, smoke, nutty, uh, black tea, blueberry, etc. Dark green, burnt wood, ash, 
uh, prune, raisin, etc. So once we get the PAL trained, we take them in, we put them in the, in the booth. And this is a shot from sitting in the booth chair. And you can see up there very well. Oh, you can see it, right? Right there's a, a little door. And we feed them in the trays of coffee, one coffee at a time. Open the door, slide it in. And then they rate on this, what's called an unstructured line scale right here, their perceived intensity, their perceived intensity of uh, the coffee that they have. They received coffees one at a time. So they would get one coffee, they would score all the attributes, put that coffee back out, and get the next one. Each judge, so I had 12 judges, each judge tasted all coffees in triplicate for experimental replication, for statistics. Scott's slide is titled Measured Strength and Extraction. There are three copies of the strength against extraction charts. Each chart is showing the results of a different coffee roast level. These are light, medium, and dark roast. Within each chart are the coffees they brewed for the experiment, which targeted specific TDS and percent extraction combinations. In order to capture all these coffees uh, and, all, and allow all 12 panelists to taste all the coffees across the data collection period, you're required to brew nine different, co- or uh, each coffee needed nine different brews. And when I say one coffee, I'm talking about, for example, light roast at 16% at 1.5 TDS. That's one coffee. So one coffee would be the roast extraction TDS pair. So each one of these represents nine different points. So there's nine here, there's nine here, there's nine here. And I, I put this up there to, to demonstrate the number of coffees that we brewed for this experiment. So now I'm at 243 brews. What is that? 400 and almost 450 brews between this experiment and the pulsing experiment using these Curtis batch brewers. So, and also this allows, this is raw TDS. This is raw TDS and raw percent extraction data. And I think it really shows well uh, the reproducibility of our brewer and our reproducibility of our uh, experiment. Okay, so I'll just pop one out for you. And so you can see what I need to make very, very clear is that we were intending to brew to a TDS percent extraction. And so in order to do that, we kept the dosing water the same. It was about 3,100 uh, grams of water. But we modified the brew ratio modified the grind to be able to move about the chart. Like I was, it needs to be made clear that the intention was to hit a particular point on the chart and make that as our, as our comparison. Those were the, the variables that we held constant. So for example, for uh, 1.0 and 16, uh, it was a very uh, high duty cycle at 83%, so the brew was a very short time. It was a couple of minutes to brew. 176 grams of coffee into the basket of the brewer at a brew ratio of 17.5. And this is the median, the median particle size of the brine. Uh, and so forth. So, uh, let's see here. So over here, so for example, at 1.25 and 24, which was this particular position on the chart, required a duty cycle of 20%, so a much longer, longer brew. This brew was in the ballpark of 15 to 20 minutes. 150 grams of coffee, a brew ratio of 20.6 to 1, and a much smaller particle size. We did descriptive analysis across those 27 coffees. All 12 of our judges tasted each coffee in triplicate. And they scored using that line scale. 
And so this is what raw DA data, descriptive analysis data was. This is a giant table of rows and columns, and you end up with your judges down on the side of the, each column. This column is the judge column, and then the individual coffee, and then the aromas across the top. And from there, we did analysis of variance to determine which attributes are significantly different for a single coffee. And I took those ones. One of the, one of the best ways that we can, we can quickly uh, display the results of this data is something called principal component analysis. What this does is it relates the rows and columns together, allows you to make determinations between uh, an individual coffee and an attribute. So this also allows us to see how our experiment laid out, whether or not the treatments make sense within, within the space of the collected data. So the PCA was really clean for this one here. Scott's slide is titled Principal Component Analysis. It shows a scattering of data points along the two axes. The x-axis is labeled Principal Component 1 of 59.5%, and while the y-axis is labeled Principal Component 2 of 23.9%. Um, oh, and I'm, I'm going to back up for a second. And one, one particular thing, and I, and I hope to see more of this type of analysis in the coffee industry as you guys move forward. It's very important to, uh, to uh, see on the PCA, the first thing, you need to look at the two dimensions that are displayed in the PCA. So this one is accounting for 59.5% of the variability within the data table presented within this XY space. So what we usually do in the sensory world or, or when you use this principal component analysis is you, you add this up. So about 60% and about 23, so 63% of the variability within the data is captured within this graphic on the, on the screen. And we can also make uh, an assumption so we can see that the samples separate by the factors of the experiment. So we can see the dark roast is off to the right, the medium roast runs through the middle, and the light roast runs over here on the left-hand side. Let me back that up for you guys and see. Each, each of these points is indicated by the coffee. So for example, here we have D, 1.25, and 24. So dark roast, root 1.25, and 24% extraction. And as I said, the dark roast coffees were positioned to the right, medium roast coffees were positioned to the middle, and the light roast coffees were positioned to the left-hand side. So roast separates along the first component, meaning that roast is a very important factor. Of course, roast is a very important factor. So the next thing that we wanted to look at, the next factor was TDS, the strength of the coffee, separating orthogonal to roast, moving from 1.0 to 1.25 to 1.5. And lastly, we see the percent extraction following the same separation of roast, but just not as clean, not as well-defined. Scott's new slide has the same principal component analysis graph from earlier, but this time there are four circles within it. The top left circle captures data points with flavor descriptors of sourness, citrus, and dried fruit. The top right circle contains flavor descriptors of astringency and bitterness, while the lower right circle contains the words such as woody, earthy, and rubber. Finally, the lower left circle contains blueberry and sweetness. So here's the other. This is, this is the key part for your, your principal component analysis. We can then take these loading attributes... So these are the descriptors. So we can make assumptions. We can make uh, uh, comparisons between the position of the sensory attributes with the positions of the coffees. So generally what we can do is we, we can overlay these on top of each other. But it's very difficult to see for a presentation. So I've slipped, slipped it up and, and um, 
I'll show you what we got. So this first one here, we see that, that the sourness, the citrus, the dried fruit, and the fermented characters are highly associated with these light roast coffees. Scott is referring to the top left circle, which contains flavor descriptors of sourness, citrus, and dried fruit. Because the light roast coffees are positioned up here in this, in this quadrant of the PCA, and these vectors are pointing up into that quadrant. So we can make, we can make uh, observations between, between where these, these uh, sensory attributes are located in relationship to the location of the coffees. Okay, so down here we have uh, these low TDS brews being associated with sweet on roast, blueberry, and sweetness. These, these burnt wood ash roasted thickness uh, attributes were associated with the dark roast coffees, and then flavor persistence, bitterness, astringency uh, related to higher TDS. Okay, so this, that's great. The PCA is, is super cool, you know, geek out on, on sensory and whatnot, but, but what we really want to talk about, is we really want to know is how what we did relates back to the brewing control chart. Okay, so if we imagine the brewing control chart as a three-dimensional cube, right, so we can look at percent extraction, along the x-axis, totals all solids along the y, and if you think about a z component being attribute intensity. So imagine like a cube, if you're looking at it, looking at it, you can see these points within the cube. And what we do is we fit a curve to the points within that 3D space, as shown here. So these points here are clearly moving up and out towards you, and then we fit a curve to those points. And if you take that curve, if you take this 3D box, and you're looking at it, and you look down at the top of it, down the z-axis, it looks like a contour map, like a topo map. Um, and we get something like this. Scott's slide is titled Response Surface Methodology. He is presenting 3D graphs showing the prevalence of certain flavor attributes, such as sourness and sweetness, and how intensely these flavors are perceived relative to different TDS and percent extraction combinations and roast levels. When these 3D graphs are turned to 2D, they look like hiking maps with contour lines. So this is looking straight down the z-axis, the attribute intensity. And so we have plotted here extraction percentages along the x-axis, strength along the y for each of the three coffees, light, medium, and dark roast. And so we can look at this in the same way you'd look at a topographical map. Moving, moving from this bottom right corner, we can see increasing sourness as we move across. Uh, and these things are actually color-coordinated or color-coded. So this dark or the reddish, brownish, whitish is a higher intensity in sourness than the green. And that's what the lines are, are indicating. So medium roast has a similar relationship, but less important for the TDS. And then for the dark roast coffee, we saw this, this uh, local maxima. And I plotted down below for this the three-dimensional cubes to really help drive it home, to really help see how these things are. And we can see as we move across the cubes from, from the uh, light roast, medium roast, to the dark roast, we can see a decrease in sourness, overall decrease in sourness. So I picked out six different attributes to show you guys today, uh, sweetness being next. So same thing. So we can see decreasing sweetness with decreasing TDS, which not much dependent upon upon extraction for the light roast. But as we move from the medium roast, we can see that uh, extraction percentage becomes to be an important factor. So we can see this roast effect for sweetness. So a linear relationship 
the highest intensity at the lower percent extraction TDS pair, so down here at the bottom, down here at the bottom, and percent extraction becomes more important with the dark roast coffees. So bitterness, exactly what we would expect. Increasing bitterness with the increasing uh, roast. We also see, with the light roast coffee, higher bitterness up here at the TDS percent extraction. Same thing with the dark roast, but the medium roast gave us this, this little uh, swale right, right there in the middle, this uh, local minima. And also, so from there, the intensity within the medium roast coffee of bitterness increased pretty much straight up with increasing TDS. Burnt wood ash. So this was the perceived uh, flavor of campfire effectively within, within the coffees. So we see for the light roast coffee, we see this increase of this burnt, roast, this burnt wood ash character with, with the increasing roast. We see this local minima here in the light roast coffee, and then we see it moving up into the upper right-hand corner of the light roast coffee. And moving into the medium roast and the dark roast doing the same thing. But overall, the dark roast was, was far more. And we, when we look at this, we can see that the arrow, this, this direction of ascent, is becoming more and more dependent upon TDS for, the, for this particular attribute. So I would assume that if you roast it even further out, you would get uh, very little dependence on percent extraction for, for this particular attribute. Like I said, so local, local a light roast minima, increased with TDS and percent extraction, uh, and less related to, to percent extraction with roast. So flavor persistence. So for, for me, um, my interest in coffee as a personal interest comes from these, the texture of the coffee. So things like body, viscosity, uh, astringency, uh, the way it feels in your mouth when you're tasting it. The aromas are awesome, don't get me wrong, but a lot of it comes from me, from my personal preference, is the uh, texture terms. So these next three were, will be some of the texture terms that, that we came across. So this first one here is flavor persistence, and we define flavor persistence within the panel as the perception of the coffee flavor after you expectorate it or swallow it. And so what we found was with the light roast, there was this maximum. It reaches this point which you get up into the higher index, this higher uh, percent extraction TDS pair, uh, the persistence of flavor reached the maximum point. And it kind of does this weird swell as we move to medium, and the dark roast becomes a linear relationship with, with percent extraction and TDS. And overall, these are pretty high intensities within the overall experiment, as noted by them being uh, brownish. Okay, so thickness does a similar story, moving increasing thickness of the coffee with roast. As we move from light roast, medium roast, to dark roast, it becomes being more and more dependent upon TDS. So increase with roast in a linear relationship with TDS percent extraction. Okay, so I just showed you a small subset of what we came across. And for each of these coffees, we had a, a six, to, 6 to 10 or 12 different attributes that came significant. And so this would be, so for example, some of them, like uh, black pepper, were only significant for one of the roasts, and so we've, I've included it here. But now, okay, so here, here's the part. Yeah, we showed you guys some fancy boxes and green lines and stuff like this, and yeah, yeah. But how do we, how, how can you take, take some of this stuff home and use it at home? How can you implement this, like, tonight when you go home and, and uh, make yourself your coffee tomorrow morning? So the first thing we need to do is we need to get rid of those little silly lines in that ideal box. And if we think about the brewing control chart, 
we can think about it in kind of like four different zones. We can think about it as zone A being this, this low TDS, low percent extraction. We can think about a high TDS, low percent extraction zone, a high TDS, high percent extraction zone, and a low TDS, high percent extraction zone. These, these four zones with which we can, we can use this, this idea to evaluate a single coffee. Okay, so if we started, if we started our coffee evaluation, we got ourselves, oh, yes, so you'll need some things when you do this at home. You'll need coffee to start with. A brewing vessel, you can use your, your Chemex, your V60, however you brew your coffee in the morning. And a balance would be very helpful. Um, it would be helpful to calculate the percent extraction in the TDS. If you don't, if you don't have a coffee balance, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, anyway, so these, these, these four zones. So if we started brewing, if we asked ourselves to brew one coffee within, within each of these zones, we had all four of those coffees in front of us, we could make an evaluation of a given coffee about how uh, this coffee changes with index. So if we started down here at this, this low TDS, low percent extraction, at a brew ratio of 18, 18 to 1, brewed that coffee there. And the second coffee would be brewed at 12 to 1 in the high TDS, low percent extraction. And these two coffees are tied together by what we could call the, a fast pour. And I say this because in our experiment, we used the almost 100% duty cycle to brew coffees on that side of the chart. So when I say fast pour, the idea being is you want to get the water through the coffee grounds as fast as possible without clogging the filter. So then to move to the other side of the chart, coffee A and C would have the same brew ratio, 18, about 18 to 1. And this would be the slow pour in the sense of Add the water, stop, hang out for a minute. Add the water, stop, hang out for a minute. And the idea being is that you would brew C and A, or I'm sorry, C and D with the same pour, the same slow methodical pour, and you would brew A and B with this fast pour. And what it would do is give you these four coffees across the chart. And then you could set them on your table, uh, pour them into your cup, and ask yourself these questions like, how does the bitterness change? How does the fruit present itself among these four coffees? How does uh, the aromas of blueberry change? How does the sourness change, the sweetness change? And then maybe you could even say, well, hey, I want to brew my coffee. I want to brew coffee A, or my favorite coffee uh, up here. And I'm going to brew my other coffee down here for differences in my, my shop or my, my home, whatever. So, but the one thing that you need to also consider, too, is uh, don't change the water mass or the temperature. So when you make the adjustments on the brew ratio, you've got to change the mass of the coffee added. So, yeah, so thank you, slide. These are the lab members of the UCD Davis Coffee Center. It's Xian, it's down over here somewhere. He was the one who did a whole method of work programming the brewers, learning how to run those British brewers. Um, he knows probably just as much as the techs at Curtis <laughs> brewing those brewers. Uh, Kenzie Batali uh, doing some excellent work on fractioning your coffee and the taste attributes that change with, with uh, time. Uh, Zero Mu, who has a poster outside looking at uh, the price index of cones and baskets within the market. Andrew Cotter, who's a new student, who's going to be doing some consumer work. And of course, John Xavier and William Rissenpart, who are the uh, people in charge of all of us. Uh, and also I need to thank Breville 
and the SCA for the, the funding for us. And of course, Blue Ball and Royal for donation of coffee. And Java City also donated coffee for, for us also. So, yeah, thank you. So we have time for questions if anyone wants to ask questions. Yes, sir. Yeah. An audience member is asking why the brew time for some of the brews in the experiment went over 15 minutes. So in order to get the pulsing sequence to run like that, so if you imagine if you had a sequence where it pulsed for 20 seconds and you stopped for 20 seconds and then pulsed for 20 seconds, in order to get all 300 milliliters of water out, it takes a long time. So 20 seconds on, 20 seconds off. So the, when we did the experiment, it's only on for the same amount of time. But if you imagine it's on for a little bit and then we wait, it's on for a little bit and then we wait, it spaces it out across time. The same audience member then points out that the coffee will be in contact with the hot water for a very long time. Yeah. The audience member then points out there's a gold cup standard, and he asks why Scott didn't use it throughout the experiments. So the gold cup standard is meant to hit you right in the middle of the chart, right there. So we wanted to be able to brew all the way around the chart. What we, what we did with this, with this preliminary experiment was we were looking at using this pulsing sequence, which you're asking about. So this one here is 20% duty cycle. It's this orange color, and it plots right here at the top end of the chart. So 20% duty cycle would be uh, on for 20 seconds, off for 80 seconds, on for 20 seconds, off for 80 seconds. And in order to get all the water added to the coffee, it took 15 minutes to get out there because it's off for so long. And so what it does is so the longer the brew is, the longer the pauses between, the easier it just slid right up the brew lines, up the dose lines. And so we could then take and use a little bit of mathematics to decide we will, yeah, we need to adjust it just a little bit to get it to come up and fit into that position by adjusting either the grind or adjusting the dose to, to fit that spot. So the brewers were all programmed to dose the same quantity of water, just at different um, duty cycles. Yep. An audience member is asking why the experiment adjusted grind size. So that's a good question. So with the dark roast, we didn't need to adjust the grind size, but the other two needed an adjustment of grind size. So when you adjust the grind size, when you grind finer, you get a stronger cup. So the grind allowed it to, to spread it out further along the, along the dose lines, because we really wanted to, to be able to brew a coffee at 16 and 1. So we needed to, to grind appropriately to really spread it out across like the, the intent wasn't necessarily the intent was to have a cup of coffee with a particular TDS percent extraction. Across the three roasts, the dose and the duty cycle were the same. We needed to adjust the grind for the different coffees. That was the major thing that we changed. An audience member is asking what was the average weight of the coffee used for brewing? The mass in the brewer ranged from 121 grams all the way up to 252 grams. The same audience member is asking how many cups of coffee they brewed. Uh, the volumes that came out, I can't remember offhand. Uh, it was attempting to brew almost a liter of coffee. A liter. Or I'm sorry, almost a, almost a gallon of coffee. Yeah, I had three, it was 3,000. Yeah, we were, we, were, we were approaching a gallon, yeah. Now, so, but we didn't get a yield of a gallon with these higher, with these higher doses because more of the water is retained within the grind, within the brew bed. But we, were, we kept the water the, what constant across the, across the brews. An audience member is asking Scott to explain what the term percentage extraction yes. means. So if you conceptualize putting coffee into a brew basket, right, and you pour water over the top of it, 
It's the amount of coffee removed from the dry coffee. It's, it's the mass amount of coffee removed from the dry coffee. Yes, sir. Sorry. Sorry. An audience member is asking Scott to explain how they controlled water temperature in the coffee slurry. They point out that using different pulsing cycles would affect the slurry temperature in between experiments. So I think we see, we see that phenomena out here with these particular brews. So, for example, this one here, this red one, you, you can see that it's... If you imagine a dose line running up like this, da, 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 in and out like that. Yeah, I think what we saw is that when you dose it for a second and wait, you know, if you dose for 20 seconds and then wait for 80 seconds, you get temperature fluctuations within the coffee. And I think that's why we're seeing this variability. It's a hypothesis, it's a guess. But it, we... Overall, the, the distribution in TDS within that treatment is pretty small. It's about 0.1. These brewers were, were, were uh, pretty cool. So we were, we were happy with their ability to be reproducible. Um, if for some reason we were brewing at this 20% duty cycle and uh, we got this crazy, crazy spread, we would have tried to do something different. But yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. I think we do see temperature fluctuations within the, higher, within the lower duty cycle coffees. <laughs> That was Dr. Scott Frost at the Specialty Coffee Expo in April 2019. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and a link to coffeeexpo.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA Podcast Expo Lecture Series, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by SAP's Soft Engine Coffee One. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.